Good morning. You were ever called to teach after someone like a Kevin Webb or a Brian Payne or someone like that, and you're intimidated. Um, I found this quote encouraging this week. Even if the gift bestowed on you is less than the gift bestowed on someone else, the giver is the same. It is the same fountain from which you draw refreshment. So I'm encouraged this morning. So we are going to be in Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 30. Okay, so let me give you a brief overview of our text today. Paul hopes to come visit the Philippians, but in the meantime, he's sending Epaphroditus to them and then hopes in the Lord to send Timothy. This is the main idea of the text. But Paul's also using these two men as examples of what it means to fulfill Philippians 1.27, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. So let's reread these verses, at least uh, 27 and 4. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And verse 3 talks about considering others as more significant than yourselves. So their lives illustrate those whose manner of life was worthy of the gospel of Christ, as well as those who look to the interest of others, considering them as more significant than themselves. So please stand for the reading of God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cherished by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You may be seated. So let me open with a word of prayer. And I'll read this too. So Holy Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your inspired, God-breathed word. That it is authoritative over us in all things, being useful for, being useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We thank you that it is sufficient, providing everything we need to be saved. We thank you for its necessity whereby we can know the way of salvation, how to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and how to discern your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. 
and never contradicts itself. We thank you that it is written in such a way that your people can understand it with the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for its clarity. We praise you for the ways you use your word to transform our lives, it being powerful to save and to accomplish everything you intend it to accomplish. Thank you for preserving the canon, all of it having one subject, uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. So let's just go through it. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Paul desires to send Timothy, but does not presume upon the Lord that he will be able to do so. Instead, he hopes in the Lord that he will be able to do so. You think of the book of James, where James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Also, 1 Corinthians 16, 7, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. So this phrase, hope in the Lord, is often used by Paul to express the idea of Lord willing. Though the much greater force than many of us use, or at least where we've been the last 14 years, people would say, inshallah, and that just meant maybe. Um, if I want and God forces me to, then I will be there tomorrow where you want me to be. But this is different than that. It's, I have every intention of coming to you, but I'm not God. And he is sovereign, and he is good, and he does all that he pleases. And maybe it pleases him that I will be there, maybe it does not. Okay. So why does he want to send Timothy? In order that Timothy may be cheered by news of the Philippians, and then in order that Paul may receive news from this visit and himself be cheered. And he also wants them to hear news of him and how he's doing, because as Kevin, I'm sure, said, this is a prison letter. Verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So why Timothy? Because there's no one like him. Paul doesn't say because I can spare him or because he has the time or because I don't have need of him right now, but because there's no one like him. It may possibly be for Paul like cutting off an arm. I know this isn't the point he's making, what I'm about to say, okay? But it reminds me of why we sent Raisha to visit the Martins in the Middle East and why we sent Pastor Aaron with the mobs to northern Uganda. Uganda, sorry. We didn't send those we could spare. We sent our best because we love the Martins, and we love the mobs. We sent those who were the most uniquely equipped for those trips. Aaron, on the contrary, would not have been the best for Race's trip, nor vice versa. So, side note's done. <laughs> so we can get back to what Paul is actually teaching, and not what I'm pushing onto the text. But um, maybe it's an application that's not actually part of his intent. Um, 21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what sets Timothy apart? He's genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. And the others, they seek their own interests. What's interesting to me is that the reasoning is not, for they all seek their own interests, but Timothy seeks the interest of others. No, it reads, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
There seems to be a logical flow to these sentences that to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church is to seek the interests of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? What is Jesus Christ interested in? He is interested in the welfare of the church to his glory. And what should we be interested in? The interest of Christ, which is his body, the church. And here's a long quote. Try to listen. I'm not using my glasses. It's pretty amazing. It's a miracle. Here's what John Calvin said about these verses, and it's really long. It may seem at first view as if it were no great fault to seek one's own, own profit. But how insufferable it is, it is in the servants of Christ appears from this that it renders those that give way to it utterly useless. Listen to this. For it is impossible that the man who is devoted to self should apply himself to the interest of the church. For it is impossible that the man who is devoted to self should apply himself to the interest of the church. Did then, you will say, Paul cultivate the society of men that were worthless and mere pretenders? I answer that it is not to be understood as if they had been intent exclusively on their own interest and bestowed no care whatever upon the church, but that taken up with their own individual interest, they were to some extent negligent to the promotion of the public advantage of the church. For it must necessarily be that one or other of two dispositions prevails over us. Either that, overlooking ourselves, we're devoted to Christ and those things that are Christ, or that, unduly intent on our own advantage, we serve Christ in a superficial manner. From this it appears how great a hindrance it is to Christ's ministers to seek their own interest. That really hit me this week. How great a hindrance it is to Christ's ministers to seek their own interest. Nor is there any force in these excuses. I do harm to no one. I must have a regard also to my own advantage. I'm not so devoid of feeling as to not be prompted by a regard to my own advantage. For you must give. You must give up your own right if you discharge your duty. A regard to your own interest must not be put in preference to Christ's glory or even placed upon a level with it. Whithersoever Christ calls you, you must go promptly, leaving off all other things. Your calling ought to be regarded by you in such a way that you shall turn away all your powers of perception from everything that would impede you. It might be in your power to live elsewhere in greater opulence, but God has bound you to the church, which affords you but a very moderate sustenance. You might elsewhere have more honor, but God has assigned you to a situation in which you live in a humble style. You might have elsewhere a more salubrious sky or a more delightful region, but it is here that your station is appointed. You might wish to have to do with a more humane people. You feel offended with their ingratitude or barbarity or pride. In short, you have no sympathy with the disposition or the manners of the nation in which you are, but you must struggle with yourself and do violence in a manner to opposing inclinations that you may keep by the trade you have got, for you are not free or at your own disposal. In fine, forget yourself if you would serve God. Wow. I don't do this well, but I want to. A side note, Luke nor Aristarchus seem to be with Paul at this point, as he doesn't send their greetings. Also, Paphroditus was the messenger of the letter, so Paul doesn't seem to be indicting them. Rather, he may be referring to some of those of 1, 12 through 18, where he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here. I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. So you see how Timothy fulfills 2-4? Looking not to his own interests, but to the interest of others living in a manner worthy of the gospel, as we're called to do in Ephesians. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Whereas others pursue their own interests, Paul says that the church knows Timothy's proven worth. He's proven himself to be like a son to Paul, serving with Paul in the gospel. And there's another logical leap, that the gospel is the welfare of the church. When you think about it, it makes sense. In Ephesians, we see that in Jesus' body, he's broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and made one people. In him, there is one body, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Lord over all. The Philippians would have remembered Timothy, it seems, as Timothy seems to have been with Paul and Philippi in Acts 16. You know, after the Macedonian call, Philippian jailer, all of that time. He has been tired, sorry, he's been tried, probably tired. He's been tried and endured and has stood the test. Furthermore, he has served with Paul as a servant, which brings us back to 1-1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And then you remember Jesus in 2, chapter 2, 6-7, where the eternal son, while remaining what he was, became what he was not. That is, he took the form of a servant, becoming flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father. He became man. Jesus is our example. Timothy has served as a servant of Christ in the work of the gospel, and so should we. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving or serving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Timothy, alongside Paul, has served side by side for the faith of the gospel. And 23, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So, Timothy's the best of them, right? And Paul hopes to be able to send him as soon as he knows he can. So possibly the results of the trial, whether he will live or die. Um, Possibly there's a pastoral issue. We're not really told. Um, We're not sure. But he wants to send him as soon as he knows how it will go with him. And 24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So not only that, Paul himself is trusting the Lord that he himself can visit the church, which must be a great encouragement to them, at least to those that loved him. What love they have for one another. And if I were to reread the letter after we got done with this passage, I think you'd see with new eyes, possibly, the love Paul has for this church, the familiarity he has with this church, and his desire to be with him again. He said that a number of times already, and he continues to say it throughout the rest of the passage. 25, moving on to Paphroditus. I thought it necessary to send to you Paphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, 
and your messenger and minister to my need. So in the meantime, before Timothy and before even himself is able to visit, he is sending Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. So who is this man? He's a brother in Christ. He's a fellow worker or minister. He's a fellow soldier. And these are the three same three nouns that Paul uses in Philemon, another of the prison letters, where he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, I don't know if I'm saying that right, this is how I say it, um, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's important also to note the fellow part. Even though in the Greek, the stress is on worker or soldier. Um, the question, because I, like when you think about church leaders, many are hardworking and are like soldiers. I work probably too hard. But the question you should ask me is whether I'm working with and soldiering alongside one another. Remember Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul wants to hear of how the church and having a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Epaphroditus is a fellow worker, working side by side for the gospel with Paul. He's an example, like Timothy, of a man whose life is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul loves this man. And this man has demonstrated a love for Paul and for the gospel in his faithfulness. Not only is he related to Paul in such a way, but Paul recognizes that Epaphroditus is this church's messenger, this church's minister, and he is loved by them, and he's related to them. And 26... For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So his relationship, Epaphroditus' relationship to the church is all the more obvious because of his longing for this church. He, surviving an experience that almost brought death, is more concerned for the church in Philippi than for himself. He's concerned that they've been concerned for his welfare. He's concerned that they've been concerned for his welfare. Sorry, that was weird. What great concern these men and women have for one another. It reminds me, again, of consider others as more significant than yourselves. Even more, this word used for distress is really only used one other time in the Bible. It's the distress of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm not comparing the two. We do not have our Gethsemanes. Just just say, I mean, I've heard that. This is my Gethsemane moment. None of us has a Gethsemane moment. Jesus in the Garden is unique. Just like we don't really do incarnational ministry, Jesus alone was God who became man. So I, I do want to guard that. But I'm just noting how strong of a word this is in Greek. It's the word in Matthew Mark where it says that Jesus was troubled. And Epaphroditus is troubled. 27. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So this illness was severe. It almost killed him. The phrase literally means that he was a near neighbor to death or came so near to death. However, by God's mercy, he did not die. This mercy was not just sparing Epaphroditus' life for his own sake, but for the sake of Paul 
and for the sake of the church, which reminds us of chapter 1, you know, it's far better to go away, right? But for your sake, Paul's love for such a one was so deep that his death would have called sorrow upon sorrow. And even though to live is Christ and to die is gain, there's much sorrow in the death of those who go on before us. We don't weep as the world weeps, but we weep, right? Because we love deeply, because he first loved us. 28 through 29, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So seeing that Paphroditus has been spared from death, the church is to receive him with all joy. Joy that he's alive, joy that he successfully ministered to Paul's need on their behalf, and this will also make Paul less anxious on their behalf. I'm blowing through this. That's great. This welcoming is to be like Paul when he told the Roman Christians to welcome Phoebe. There he said, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancray. <laughs> Sounds like a, never mind, I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been, <laughs> sorry, I can't get the thought out of my head, what I was going to say. Let's repeat that. I can. <laughs> I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kincray, that <laughs> at that place, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So not only should they welcome him in joy, they should honor Epaphroditus. Paul had a need. It was the role of the church to fill that need. Epaphroditus risked his life to complete and fulfill this need on behalf of the Philippian church. There was nothing lacking in their love for Paul except the expression of that love to Paul. And Epaphroditus filled up what was lacking in his own sufferings. He had not failed in the ministry that the church had sent him to fulfill, and he wants them to know that. Again, this reminds us of another time when Paul said to honor such as these. In 1 Corinthians 16, he said, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they, devote, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these. And to every fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Again, reading from Calvin, he says, The presence of Epaphroditus was no small consolation to Paul. Yet to such a degree did he prefer the welfare of the Philippians to his own advantage, that he says he rejoices on occasion of his departure because it grieved him that on his account he was taken away from the flock that was entrusted to him and was reluctant to avail himself of his services, though otherwise agreeable to him, when it was at the expense of loss to them, the Philippians. Hence he says that he will feel more happiness in the joy of the Philippians. Last verse. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This last verse reminds me of two moments in my life. The first was hearing a sermon by John Piper in the 90s. Um, the second was hearing Kevin Webb say almost the same thing that John Piper said in a hallway in Germany while we were on choir tour. Uh, 20, how long ago was that? 23 years ago. Goodness. 
and I don't even know if he remembers, um, and he's not here to defend himself, um, on his teaching of uh, Colossians 1.24, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But here's what Martin, Marvin Vincent said about the verse we were reading today. The gift to Paul was a gift of the church as a body. It was a sacrificial offering of love. What was lacking and what would have been grateful to Paul and to the church alike was the church's presentation of this offering in person. This was impossible. And Paul represents Epaphroditus supplying this lack by his affectionate and jealous ministry. So I know this is a side trail, but I don't think it's a bad one. Um, I tell my kids, tasty rabbit trails are okay to go after. Um, this verse has been used to help explain what Paul was saying in another place. So listen to Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Which, of course, this is crazy, rejoicing in sufferings. Um, but crazier still is to think that there is any lack in Christ's afflictions, or that we, jars of clay, dust, could possibly fill up any lack in Christ's afflictions. So what could it mean? Well, what Paul, Paul, not Paul, what John Piper and Kevin Webb both taught me, and I'm not saying that either one of them still believe this, you ask Kevin, it's been 23 years, was the following. Christ suffered and died for sinners as a love offering. There is nothing, nothing at all, lacking in his offering to us. Nothing, nothing. So I'm not saying there's anything lacking. So hear that, there's nothing lacking in his sacrifice. Zero zilt, okay, except one thing. But there's still nothing lacking. And that's the presentation of that love offering through the suffering of God's people in their proclamation of it. This is how one fills up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And it's the same here, but to a lesser degree, same word. The Philippians love Paul, and they have a love offering for him. We see it in chapter 4 where Paul says that they sent him help for his needs. The only thing lacking was the presentation of this help through the suffering of Epaphroditus. They're absent. They cannot all come to minister to Paul. So Epaphroditus goes as a representative on their behalf, being their ministry, minister to Paul for them. A side note, this is not the first time someone's risked their life for Paul. If you think about Prisca and Aquila, they're called fellow workers in Christ Jesus, and they risk their necks for him. So these are all examples of those who imitate Christ and give it another example of how the church is to imitate Christ. Jesus was obedient unto death. Epaphroditus was obedient unto the door of death and willing even to die. Again, Jesus is the God-man, so I'm not, not equating the two. Let us follow their examples as they follow the example of Christ. So I want to reread or read Ephesians 4, 10 through 20, just for fun, um, to help us see this a little bit better, what's going on. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. In any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, I say this sometimes, and I'm sure I'm not the first to say it. The only perfect thing we do on Sundays is the public reading of God's Word. So, I have 11 minutes to read to you Philippians, and I'm going to do it, because this is what they did. Letter comes, read the whole thing. Can you imagine sitting there during Romans? Your brain blows up. Um, At least mine. Goodness gracious. So, let's do it. Hold on to your seats. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We just read about that in four, right? I mean, it's just throughout this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness." How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, 
And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you have, may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, right, but also to the interests of others. And it's just throughout this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be, I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained, attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shames, their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him, to even, him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, 
Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Note, they're not enemies. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. I know how to be brought low, right? I know how to be abound, okay? All things includes that. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, all things, all things, okay? I, I say that because I was in a context for 14 years that all things meant the truck I want only, not I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including losing everything, okay? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Wow. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.